Today we are going to be continuing in Ephesians. We have about three weeks left, including today. And so if you would open up to Ephesians chapter 6, it's page 979 in the Red Bible. For the last few weeks, we have been unpacking Ephesians 5.18, because that's what Paul is unpacking himself. And Ephesians 5 says, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we've been looking and seeing what does it mean to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are many who think if you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, then that means that you are uh, crying in worship, that you are dancing, that you are maybe flopping on the ground like a trout, that those are the people who are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, right? And while some of those things uh, are maybe indications that someone's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. What we have seen is that being under the influence of the Holy Spirit is so much greater than that. It is not just an emotional response on Sunday mornings, but it is something that transforms your life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. In Ephesians 5.19, it said that when we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it transforms our singing, our delight. We delight in God. We rejoice in our hearts, both on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And we sing His praises. In Ephesians 5.19, we saw that it, it, the, being under the influence of the Holy Spirit transforms our gratitude. That we become thankful knowing that God is good, even in the most difficult parts of life. In verse 21 through 33, we see how being under the influence of the Holy Spirit transforms our marriages. That it creates men who love their wives as Christ loves the church and wives who respect their husbands. Last week, we saw how children under the influence of the Holy Spirit are encouraged and challenged to obey and to honor their parents. And the parents under the influence of the Holy Spirit raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we've seen how being under the influence of the Holy Spirit is far greater than something that happens Sunday morning. It's something that transforms our hearts and our homes throughout our week. Today we are going to look at how being under the influence of the Holy Spirit transforms our work. Before we dive into that, there will immediately be a question that comes to mind. And so I just want to address it before we read the scripture. Paul is addressing slaves and masters. And so the question that should come to your mind is, does the Bible condone slavery? Does the Bible say that slavery is okay? And the very simple answer is absolutely not. Uh, It doesn't ever expressly condemn it, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but it doesn't condone slavery. In the passage that we're going to look at, uh, you will see here a a phrase that says slave, and the term is doulos, okay? And uh, I have it there in Greek and English for you. You can impress your friends with it if you want to. Um, Doulos. And so what doulos is, doulos is the word that's used here, and it actually has a lot of translations. It has a variety of translations. You can translate it slave, you can translate it servant, you can translate it even attendant. And so what it means has a great variety of things. It's actually used 125 times in the New Testament, which on average is about once every two chapters. And you'll see it and not know it. It will say things like servant, you know, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, a doulos or a attendant. Um, And so it's used in a great variety of ways. And so slaves in the time of 
Paul's writing, there was a great variety of them. There was actually in Athens at one time, 20,000 free people and 400,000 slaves. And in Ephesus, during the time of this reading, a third of the population was slaves. And to make it even more confusing, some slaves had their own slaves, right? But they weren't called slaves, they were called doulos, which means there was a great variety. So there was a great variety of ways that they even became slaves. Some was involuntary. Uh, Some people became douloses because of financial debt. And so if they owed someone, instead of going to jail, instead of... Uh, uh, filing for bankruptcy or foreclosure, they would pay off their debt by going and farming the fields for them. Uh, there was also people who were involuntarily slaves uh, because they were captured in war. They were prisoners of war. And some were slaves because in that time, the way that people performed abortion is they would take the kid and they would put him on the curb and leave them. If they wanted a boy and they got a girl, they would just put him outside the door in the trash. And people would come by and take those children. And many of the Christians would adopt them and raise them, but many took them and raised them to be slaves. And so there was involuntary slavery. There was also voluntary slavery. Now, this might sound very odd that people would volunteer to be douloses, but imagine if you are in a time and an age where food and housing is hard to come by, where it's hard to have a good standard of living. For these people, they rejoiced in getting a job to be a doulos, that they could go and be a farmhand, would probably be how we would think of the word. A farmhand who would have great food, who would have a great house, would even have great time with their family, a good place for their family to be raised and to live. Douloses were doctors. Uh, they were elders in the church. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, some even owned other douloses. And so it was a very interesting Interesting scenario. And so you see that, that these slaves were, became slaves in a variety of ways, both involuntary and voluntarily. But you also see there's a great variety of ways that they were treated. Um, some were treated like cattle, in which the masters had the right to brand them, to maim them, even to kill them. Uh, and this is typically what we think of when we think of slavery, right? In the American culture, that people, because of the color of their skin, were treated like cattle, like livestock, and it was absolutely oppressive and atrocious and horrific. But others were treated very well. Others were treated like family. They were like the living nanny. And they were loved and they were enjoyed. They would have received Christmas presents if they did such a thing. And so there was such a great variety. Most of the douloses, by the age of 30, were actually freed. And so you see, it is a very different use, different use of the word than what we think of coming from an American perspective. There was very bad and there was very good all wrapped up in one. In 1 Corinthians 7.21, Paul says this, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. And so he's encouraging them to purchase their freedom. So there's a great variety in how slaves uh, become slaves, but also how they were treated. And the question still exists, does the Bible support slavery? And again, it does not condone it, and it doesn't outright condemn it. And I'm just going to give you two reasons why I think the Bible doesn't come right out and say, end slavery. All right. The first is this, is that being a doulos for some people was a very good thing. As I mentioned, it brought them off of the streets. 
And it took them out of the streets and it gave them food and it gave them shelter and it was very much like being, what I said, a farmhand. And so for some people, it was a very good, beneficial, wonderful relationship. The other reason is because Scripture undermines slavery in a much more powerful way. You see, in antiquity, during this time, slavery was actually eradicated because of Bible-believing Christians. In the 1500s, when slavery popped back up in England, it was because of born-again Christians who had looked at the Scriptures, men like uh, William Wilberforce and John Newton, who saw the Scriptures and saw something in them that said slavery is wrong and worked to eradicate it. Even in our own country, it was preachers that saw throughout Scripture things that says slavery is wrong, things like all of us are created in the image of God, that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior, that Christ saved us, that we are united to one another, and that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, not to shackle them, but to love them. And so the Bible undermines slavery not by simply saying no more slavery. It, call, it gives a much higher calling to love your neighbor. And so this is how, when we read slavery, uh, this is how it is so extremely different, but the Bible undermines what we think of as slavery. And so what Paul is addressing here, he is not addressing the morality of slavery. Certainly he would have condemned it. But Paul is addressing the working relationship, how this affects the employee and employer tomorrow. This affects many of you because many of you go back to work tomorrow. Some of you continue to work, like many of you are stay-at-home moms, and that is hard work. Some of you are students, and you'll be going back to school, and that is hard work. And so God is addressing you as a worker, and he's also addressing bosses. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Read along with me in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verse 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. God, as we come to this text, help us to understand first your grace and your love and the glory of the cross. But secondly, help us to understand how being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, in light of all that you have done, how that makes work, worship to you. Help us to live this out today and tomorrow and the next. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I listed to you kind of statistics of how many people were slaves, and so this was a very practical passage. This is also a very practical passage for us. I don't know if you've ever heard how your life is broken down in thirds, but a third of your life you spend sleeping. A third of your life, that's generally, right? Some people spend more, some people spend less. 
A third of your life you spend on other stuff, and then a third of your life you spend working. And so the question is, how do we work under the influence of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God? Especially when our bosses seem dim-witted, seem to be mean-spirited, seem to be hurtful. Or if you are a boss, your employees seem to be lazy or they seem to be stubborn. How do we work under the influence of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God? When I was in school, I decided I wanted to work at a golf shop. And really the only reason I wanted to work at the golf shop was so I could play free golf. You know, I was a poor student, couldn't afford to go play golf. And so I'm like, I'm going to work here just so I can play free golf. And so I went and I interviewed and I asked the man, Ron, I said, so, so what's the deal? Do I, do I get to play golf for free? He's like, uh, yeah, we'll take care of you. All right. And, uh, and so I assumed, you know, I get to go play golf anytime I want. Well, uh, about a month went by and my brother from Chicago came to visit me and I took him and I said, yeah, I get to play free golf cause I work here and. And don't get me wrong, I'm horrible at golf, so please don't come to me for tips. But I got to check people in, cook, and things like that. Well, we go, and I said, yeah, two for, for golf, and I work here, and blah, blah, blah. And guy rings it up, and he says, well, that will be $25. And I'm sitting there, no, 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 this is supposed to be free. And he goes, no, I don't, I don't know where you got that idea. But there's a discount for me, but for my brother, he had to pay full price. And so I was so frustrated by that. And later that week, uh, Ron, my boss, came to me and he said, I heard there was a bit of a mix-up. And I said, yeah, I thought, you know, that I got free golf, but evidently I don't. And he goes, no, I, I don't know where you heard that. And so I was so frustrated. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take this out on him by eating hot dogs. Uh, when I was there working with Ron, Ron's like, yeah, you know, if, if you're cooking up hot dogs, feel free to cook one up for yourself. Now, he never said how many I could have and not have. And so, you know, I would go into work just starving and, you know, one, three, five hot dogs, you know, and some soda. I know I'm repenting. I'm sorry. But the question is, how do we work under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you know, when your boss seems to be a jerk or when your employees are eating all your hot dogs? How do you work under the influence of the Holy Spirit? And that's what Paul is addressing today. So first, we're going to look at employees And Paul's calling is for the employees to serve Christ. He has this repeated emphasis throughout this passage. Look with me in verse 5. And I'm going to replace slaves with employees because this is how he's addressing us. Employees, obey your earthly bosses with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. And then here it is, as you would Christ. And he's going to repeat it two more times. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And so the primary directive for employees is to serve your boss as you are serving Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.23 puts it this way. Again, Paul is addressing slaves and masters and he says, whatever you do, work heartily. For who? As for the Lord and not for men. And so how do we serve Christ in our daily employment? Well, we'll see three things. The first is that employees must serve Christ reverentially. Verse 5, look with me if you would. He says, slaves, obey your masters with fear and trembling. Out of reverence for Christ, we are to revere 
our bosses. Our bosses have a lot of power. They have a lot of responsibility. Your job is in the palm of their hand. And so we are to revere them. We are to want to do well for them. There's a story of a, of a doctor named Dr. C. Everett Coop, who later was a Surgeon General for the United States, but he was addressing the Christian Medical Fellowship of England. And he asked this question. He said, do we, because we are Christians, does that make us poorer doctors or better doctors? The title of his address was Christian Medical, excuse me, the, the address was called Christian Medicine, a compromise with mediocrity. And he was encouraging the doctors that they should be better doctors, work with greater excellence because they were working for their boss, Jesus, for their master, Jesus. Paul is calling all of us to that same, that we should revere our bosses, that we should work for them, loving them, serving them, revering them. Could you imagine what it would be like if the church of Green Bay would live this out? If the church of Green Bay would live out Ephesians 6, 5, there would be uh, bosses all over asking for Christians to come work for them. But obviously, we don't work this out like we should. And so we are called to live out revering our bosses. We are also called as employees that we must serve Christ worshipfully. Look in verse 6. He says, not by the way of eye service, As people pleasers, meaning don't do it as though the boss's eye is on you. Work one way when the boss is there and work another way when he's not. But as servants of Christ, a Savior whose eye is constantly on you, a loving Savior who is constantly watching and encouraging you and empowering you with his Holy Spirit, doing the will of God from your heart. This is a call to work with integrity. A call to work the same way when somebody is watching and when they are not watching. To work with absolute excellence, with your whole heart towards God. Ligon Duncan, uh, in talking about this subject, shares about a time, uh, about a woman who is his friend. And she is an excellent cook, but she hates to do dishes. She hates to do dishes. And so above her sink, she has this plaque which says this. It says, Divine Worship held here three times daily. She's determined to see that cleaning pots and pans is done in worship to Jesus. Now, this is an amazing thing because it means it transforms your work. Your work is actually an opportunity to worship Christ. The third of your life that you spend working is an opportunity to serve and to love and to worship your Savior. And that is how she was determined to see it. And so this will transform the ways that we look at maybe the undesirable parts of our job, the parts that we really don't care for, or even serving an undesirable boss. That when we do that well and with excellence and for Jesus, it is worshipful and it is glorifying to him. Finally, employees must serve Christ kindly. Verse 7 says this, rendering service with a good will, which means kindly, As to the Lord and not to man. We are called to perform our jobs cheerfully, knowing that it is a gift from God. Work is not a result of the fall. It was part of creation in which man and woman were in the garden tending to it. And it was glorious and it was good. As far as we know, there will be work in heaven, not all the junk that comes with it, but there will be work in heaven and it will be worshipful and it will be wonderful. 
And so we are to enjoy our jobs, understanding it as a gift from God, created to worship in our job. There was a Christian woman named Sophie who was a floor scrubber in New York City. And a man came to her, a man from the large building came to her, and he said, Sophie, I understand you are a Christian. And she responded, yes, I am a child of the king. And he said, well, then you must be a princess, right? If you're a child of the king, if you're a child of God, you must be a princess of God. And she says, that's right, I am. And he said, well, don't you think that scrubbing floors is demeaning because you are a princess? And she said, no, not at all. I scrub these floors not for Mr. Brown, my boss. I scrub these floors for Jesus Christ, my Savior. You see, everything that we do, all of the service that we're called to do as students, as stay-at-home moms, as employees, as stay-at-home dads, if that is your job, all of it can be an act of worship to God. And we can do it because we had a Savior, Jesus Christ, who was king but came in the form of a servant, in the form of a slave, to serve God but to serve us. Philippians 2, 7 says it this way, that Jesus Christ, who is God, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And we can be obedient servants to our earthly bosses because of the obedience of the King of Kings to his heavenly Father. And it says how he was obedient. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself, By becoming obedient, the same thing we're called to do. Be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Some of you have very difficult bosses. You know it. It's true. Imagine who Paul was writing to at this time. (laughs) He's writing to slaves with owners who do horrible and wretched things. And he is saying you are to respect them. You are to Do your work worshipfully. You are to treat them kindly as unto Jesus. But think of even yourself. Think of how you have disregarded Christ. How you have pressed Him aside to pursue other things in life. To pursue idols in your life. How you have gotten too busy for Him. You have pressed Him out of your life. And yet, this Jesus, the Master, the King, came to earth as a servant to serve God. God and therefore serve you by dying for your sin, by dying for your disobedience, by dying for your rebellion, by dying for your lack of being the employee that God has called you to be. And it is because of that that we can serve Christ boldly in our work. And so that is employees. Employees are called to serve Christ by serving their boss reverentially, worshipfully, and kindly. And now Paul turns his view to the bosses, to the masters, in verse 9. And he gives just one verse to them. But there's a lot packed in there. And it would be culture changing in that time and in this time as well. Look with me. Verse 9, he says, masters, do the same. Do the same. That is unheard of. He's not calling them to obey the employees, to obey the servants, but he is calling them to serve Christ worshipfully by serving their employees kindly and, and reverentially serving God. 
And so he's calling them to a higher standard than anything they'd ever heard before. And so we see, and again, this is just in reverse order of what he calls the servants to do, what he calls the employees to do. But he says that bosses must serve Christ kindly. In verse 9, there at the beginning, he says, stop your threatening. At the time, remember, the masters had the power to maim their slaves. They had the power to throw them in jail. They had power to sell them to someone who would be harsher to them. They even had the power to kill them. And so a threat would be a very powerful thing, wouldn't it? If you were working for them, I mean, think about how much leverage your boss has. They had so much more. And he says, stop threatening those that work for you, your servants. We are called not to operate, to motivate by threats. It doesn't mean that there's no accountability for doing a good job. There's absolutely that. You don't love them if you don't give them accountability. But we are not to motivate by threatening, by hanging things over their head to move them forward. Uh, there's a story of a boss who um, he was he was running this company, and it was in the middle of a major labor dispute where many of the employees were on strike. And a friend came to him and he said, how, how are you doing? How are you doing with your employees? Have they all run out with on you? And he said, no, we're, we're doing just fine. And the guy said, well, why is that? How could that be? Everyone else, their, their employees are running away. And he said, well, here's what I do. Every year, I bring them in with the financial numbers and I say, this is how much we made. Uh, this is the, the percentage that we have. How much do you think I should get paid as a boss? And he works through that, telling them all that he does. He tells all that he sacrificed, all that he risked at the very beginning. And together they come to a consensus on how much he should be paid. And he said, when he does that, he has no problems at all. And the reason is, is because he is valuing and serving his employees. Now, not all of us are called to do that, but we are called to serve our serve Christ by treating our employees kindly, as this man did, with value and dignity and respect. We're also called as bosses to serve Christ worshipfully. Look in verse 9 again, it says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Paul is pointing us to a good boss, a great boss, a wonderful boss, an amazing boss, an amazing master. Do you know this master? Do you know this boss? Because he is extraordinary. He, he is a type of boss that you want to work for. Matter of fact, he is the boss you are called to work for. He is the boss who would lay down his life for you. He's the boss that defined servant leadership. The boss, of course, is Jesus. Matthew twenty twenty six. Jesus says this very thing. He says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And then he talks about himself. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then he shares, how did he come to serve? To give his life as a ransom for many. And so we see that no matter if you are a CEO or whether you are the person that takes out your trash, you have a greater boss, a greater master, who is a Jewish carpenter, and his name is Jesus. And that is the one that you serve. That is the one that you worship. And he gives bosses a model of what it looks like to love and serve their employees. There was actually a book that came out, and I haven't 
I didn't really write it down, but it was called Servant Leadership, and it's written by a uh, by a CEO who was part of Fortune 500, and how it transformed the culture of their work. And so we are called to serve Christ worshipfully by serving those that work under us. Finally, we see that bosses are called to serve Christ reverentially. Verse 9, very end, it says, and that there is no partiality with him. Through the ancient world, there was this thought, which actually is still around today, and it's just kind of transformed a little bit, and we call it the prosperity gospel. And basically it goes like this. If you are a good Christian, then you will be rich. Or if you are rich, it's because God is very pleased with you. And so people in that time thought, well, these folks who are bosses, they must have a free ticket into heaven because they're doing well and God is blessing them. And so they must be good with God. But here we see that God says it does not matter how rich you are, how clever you are. It doesn't matter how many accolades the world gives you. It doesn't matter what preferential treatment you get. If you get parking spots, Packers tickets, free uh, food from, from people working for you. It does not matter. There is no partiality with me. All are alike. All are sinners in need of a Savior. And all will have to answer to me. Second Chronicles 19.7 echoes this. It says, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. And so just as employees have to answer to Christ one day, so do employers. And so we are called to serve Christ reverentially, worshipfully, and kindly. Now, you may be wondering, why in the world should I give of myself to my work? Because I will get nothing in return. I know I won't get anything in return. And you know what? That is a great question. And I think Paul knew that you might be answering, asking that question. And we've already seen that how Christ has given himself to us at the cross. But we also see here that Christ will give of himself to you when you come to heaven. Verse 8. Look with me if I can find it here. Verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or or free. This side of heaven, you may not receive anything for being a godly worker. You may not receive anything for being a godly boss. Matter of fact, you might just receive the opposite for those things. But there's an amazing promise here that those who serve Christ in their work through the influence of the Holy Spirit, that Christ Himself will give to you. That Christ himself will bless you. That you will receive from the Lord Jesus. And I do not know what that looks like. But what I do know is I would rather receive one statement from Jesus saying, Well done, good and faithful servant, than a thousand attaboys. Because he is the Savior. He is the Master. He is the boss of the entire world. And so that's why we can serve those who are difficult to serve under. Let me end with this. I received an email in January of this story. And if you guys ever get a good story, feel free to forward it to me. I know that's dangerous to say, but I just copy and paste it in a document and then I search it later for illustrations. But a, a gentleman who works, uh, who's in this congregation says that he had a new customer 
at work and found this out on their website. And this was what was on their website. The first thing that it said is their corporate creed. And it said that our corporate creed is to love God and love people. And I'll read you briefly what it said below that. It said, based upon these beliefs, Prasco's corporate culture is built upon Christian principles and values, including integrity, loyalty, dedication, and servant leadership. The company's chairman asks one question of all its employees. Does it matter? Does it matter that God loves you? Does it matter that your family loves you, that your fellow co-workers love you? Does it matter that you are called to love them? Our Father calls us to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is one key principle to this business's culture. And then it shares the management's philosophy, the boss's philosophy. And it says this, do good and do well. I won't read it all out to you, but basically it means to serve the employees by serving God first. And then this is my favorite part. This is how they gauge success. And I love it because most companies gauge success simply by numbers, right? Simply by how much money are they bringing in. This is how they gauge success. We believe that corporate success will reflect in how we as an organization follow God's lead. And so they define success by following God, by following Christ, by following His lead. They gauge success by being faithful, not by huge numbers. Tim Keller had pointed out that some people work to live. Right? Some people work to live. You've heard the song, Everybody's working for the weekend. I, Jason could probably do that up here, would be my guess. But some people, they work, they do nine to five just so they can get out and go have real life, right? Go have fun, get out on the boat, go to the cabin, go camping, whatever it is. Then there's the other end, people that live to work. Some, some people work to live, some people live to work. That is how they find their identity. That's how they are defined is by their job. But here, we are called to a third way. We don't work to live. We don't live to work. We live and work in worship and service of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came and lived and died and reigns in service to His Heavenly Father and therefore to us. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we go back to work tomorrow, as tomorrow is Monday, we pray that we would be able to serve you both as bosses and as employees, God, that our primary audience would not be those sitting around us, but it would be you, Jesus, knowing how much you have given to serve us and to love us. Many of us face many difficult situations at work, Lord. Situations where it's very hard to serve and obey those that you have put over us, God. But help us to do it by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.